What would it look like to make church relational again? Across the world, there seems to be a disruption in the way we've done church. In fact, some are so done with church that they're called duns, yet they're not necessarily done with Jesus. We love Jesus. We love the church. Yet so often the cacophony of unhealthy Christian culture can confuse our perceptions of God. Welcome to the Relational Revolution podcast. It is our hope in these conversations to distinguish the signal of Christ from the noise of Christianity. We invite you into an ongoing exploration of rediscovering church as heart-to-heart connection. Hi, this is Jason hosting you with the Relational Revolution podcast. And I have a supreme delight to interview the third of our interviews with the authors of the book, Relational Revolution. And this is Dr. Kent Smith. And I'm going to introduce him and we'll give an opportunity to check in. But I want all of our listeners to know that as you've been reading along, um, whether it's your Amazon copy or your your uh, soft copy, uh, Dr. Kent Smith is one of the co-founders of Luke 10. I get to spend some time with him, sometimes in person and often online. And there isn't a moment where I don't get my pen out and jot some things down and then mull them over and interact with the Lord. So he is a, uh, a gift of wisdom to the community. He is the ecosystem champion. And so we'll be talking about what this ecosystem of grace looks like. Uh, he does a whole host of things in Abilene, Texas. Uh, we love his wife, Karen. Uh, she's on one of our leader teams. And uh, she is uh, a picture of uh, a flower from heaven. And we love her uh, so very much. Kent does stuff in the Eden community, which he may speak about, and uh, also in um, the academic field. So that's just a little bit about you, so our listeners know whom we're speaking with. But I would love to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you, Jason. It's a joy to be here. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. As am I. Well, it's been our custom, uh, as we did with the previous authors, to practice uh, some of our rhythms. And it's only 10 o'clock my time, um, a little bit earlier your time. I don't know what kind of day you've had, um, but I'd love to do a, a check-in. So I'd invite us to do our check-in and maybe just devote a little time to see whatever uh, the Good Spirit has for us and what direction we can take in our conversation. There's so many things we can uncover. And I know I have a thousand and one questions for you, but I'm going to ask him to highlight uh, those that may be most striking and salient for us, for our listeners, and for such a time as this. So would uh, two or three minutes work for you? Sounds great. I'll call us back in about three. Thanks.
Pants, would you uh, like to uh, check in appreciation or anything that came to you? Uh, go first. Sure. Well, um, I love the topic of our conversation today, Ecosystems of Grace. It's very close to my heart. And um, yesterday, as I was meeting with a group of our friends and collaborators here in Abilene, I was just reminded again how powerful and beautiful it is when God gathers God's people together and we pay attention to what the Lord wants to say. So we're having a board meeting. Um, and as soon as I say board meeting, most people assume <laughs> that's pretty boring. Uh, but <laughs> in fact, it was actually wonderful. And it is completely non-boring when the good Holy Spirit is among us leading. So we had a question before us, which was around the sort of the core purpose of a new organization that we helped start about a half a year ago. And we were kind of doing some some collective reflecting on you know what what is this all about what's our what is our mission as as a as an organization and as a group uh and as a ministry and i think probably all of us kind of went into that conversation with kind of a set of thinking and sort of a direction that we thought that might go certainly i did and um but we took time to listen just like you and i just did here and in the course of the conversation that ensued, as we shared what we had been discerning, um, kind of a really different perspective emerged. And it was just beautiful. It was uh, refreshing. It was um, empowering. It gave us clarity that we hadn't had. And it really helped, I think, take a burden off a lot of shoulders uh, as we got clarity about that. And so I just love the way the body of Christ works when we take seriously that we are in the presence of a living God who is actually at work, is really here, is really smart, uh, knows things we don't know. And if we take the time and we have the humility to listen and attend to what God is doing and saying among us, we can join God in what God is doing. And that's such an enormous relief to not feel like we're living in a figure-it-out world, in the what-in-the-world-would-Jesus-do-in-this-situation kind of a world, but in the Lord, you're here. We're delighted to be with you. Lead us, world. Um, so anyway, um, I have been kind of in a state of glow ever since that meeting, just celebrating the clarity and the the vision and the empowerment that that has given that group and, and the people within the group. So I could rattle on on that, but that's, that's my uh, appreciation story this morning. That is in incredible. Reflect back to you by just saying uh, as much as I don't love meetings um, I wish I was in that board meeting with you <laughs> feeling the joy of not having the burdens to mm. figure it out but to trust good Holy Spirit and the voices and minds of everyone else so uh, even for our listeners even if you heard what a board meeting could look like when peace is seated at the conference table uh, it's a whole new way of being so thank you for sharing that anything else um, that came to you or you'd wanted to to make note of before we dive in i think that's that was that was the big one that was on my mind this morning mm. well that is uh refreshing thank you i felt like you took us there well for me i um have just a mix of a, a check-in and and some listening that was um interesting uh, to to pen down uh, but today I, I have a real sense of gladness that's multiplying as we're spending time together uh, secondly I'm excited because um, some other Luke tenors are coming to 
uh, visit us. And so Tony and Matt Daniels are in a car right now driving mm -hmm. from Nashville to spend the weekend with us. And we'll have some others around and we'll do some uh, some feasting and some some worship. And, and uh, you know them, they might do some karaoke that uh, I would probably best observe <laughs> throw my wife in the mix. We'll see. Uh, and also uh, tender. Uh, we just had a, a pest guy come in and to take care of some things um, before this podcast. And through a series of events um, over the weekend, we had one company, we're new here in South Carolina, and uh, they weren't doing the job. And we recorded with an another one just the other day. And my wife and I had made a decision within like 10 minutes because there were some items to be to be made. And it made sense to go with the new company. But we prayed. I remember standing in the kitchen and it didn't make sense, but we felt the Lord emphatically say, wait. And even in my body, my gut, like, wait, don't go in this direction that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And that was just two days ago. The gentleman that came here today seems to be a Luke 10 to be answer, um, mm -hmm. is in desperate need of uh, peace coaching. And there's a whole story behind this. And I could look back and say, wow, that, that, even though it didn't make sense at the time, Jesus, you're setting us up for something that might be uh, life changing. So I'm really feeling tender that happened a few moments ago. Mm -hmm. And then um, I'll go ahead and and, and share this. I, I jotted this down, and this may come up as we talk with ecosystems. But I heard the phrase "remember the figs." Remember the figs, and. Uh, interestingly enough, I was just brought to the risen rabbi and his heartbeats uh, for fruitfulness. And I heard these, these words, um, I don't curse figs. However, I do bring down systems that use my name yet do not produce fruit. Mm. Luke 10 and a host of many others are emerging to tell the blissful story of love, joy, and peace as these new, to borrow language from the book and even from your heart, uh, but I was hearing it, uh, to bring up these new story systems and settings, uh, they're emerging being raised to showcase my multifaceted wisdom. Fret not to figure out uh, the problem. Be part of the transfiguration moments, that's Jesus's pun, transfiguration moments and movements in this day. And I, the sense I got was uh, Luke 10, among many others, is creating a new lens where we don't have to figure it out, but to transfigure the system stories and settings that have been in place. And it's a privilege to be, to be a part of that. And so uh, those are some of the thoughts that I have that I'll probably revisit um, a bit later. So <laughs> I love that. I love the. I love the fact that Jesus is playful, and uh, <laughs> uh, I know you are something of a wordsmith, and so you love to play with words. It doesn't surprise me at all that Jesus would communicate with you playfully in wordplay, so <laughs> that's fun. Absolutely. Ah, so while savoring uh, this conversation, let's dive into uh, what we're doing on the podcast. And we have, as I mentioned, interviewed uh, Tony and John, and now we get to spend time with you. And I, I have the advanced reader's copy of the book. And should we move in this direction, I'm up to chapter six, Nurturing Ecosystems of Grace. And there is a lot that could be said of creating a new culture in, in the next chapter. So we can uh, we can uncover any of those 
sorts of things and unpack those gems, any part of the book or wherever, again, the Lord might, might bring us. But I'd like to start with reading declaration number five. And I've read it like five or 10 times today. It's so, it's so good. And this whole chapter, particularly six, there've been so many places where I stopped until I read until, as is our way of relational learning in Luke 10 discovery learning. And maybe I'll point some of those out and ask some questions as I'm new in podcasting. I am trying to land on some really good questions. So we'll, we'll see if any of those come up, but declaration number five reads the following. We are a group of uniquely gifted individuals who celebrate our differences. We learn from and honor every person we meet because we know they are also image bearers of God. The more we are curious and pay attention to the hearts of others, the more God's image emerges. As we discover our unique design, we're able to connect more fully with others, appreciating all that they bring so that we can go further together. As we nurture life and co-create with each other, we get to see the multifaceted wisdom of God emerge in all of the Trinity's fullness. So really good writing, uh, you guys. We're really enjoying the book. And as our listeners are getting copies of the book, we're going through these five shifts for rediscovering church as heart-to-heart connection. And as we're uncovering this ecosystem of grace, um, it's about nurturing ecosystems of grace. Can you give us, Ken, a brief overview of this concept and maybe its main components? Yeah, so... Um, it is a mouthful just to say ecosystem of grace. Um, it, it, you know, ordinary people who haven't heard that phrase before are likely to pause and say, what in the world? You know, uh, I know about a little bit about ecosystems. Maybe I have a little sense of grace, though that also feels like a kind of a religious word these days. What in the world are you talking about there? So I think it's helpful to unpack both ideas a little bit and give maybe some of the, maybe I'll start with some of my own personal journey into understanding both grace and ecosystem um, and then how they have come together over really a lifetime of thinking hard about some of these things. We're all ears. Well, I was um, I was a young sort of wet behind the ears doctoral student um, in the early 19 uh, middle 1980s. And um, part of what I'd set out for myself to do background in biology undergraduate and then master's level work in New Testament and uh, doctoral work I was working on in the area of spiritual nurture systems. That kind of grew out of my biological bias toward thinking about things as systems. You know, there's something about ecosystem. If you start to grasp that idea that begins to make you see the world through a little different lens. Um, And so I was approaching spiritual formation from a systems perspective. And I'd set myself the task of spending some extended time with several different communities that have been around a long time. One of those was a Trappist community in Iowa called the New Mallory Abbey. Mm. Um, And that was a fascinating study. And my second uh, study was with a group called the Church of the Savior in Washington, D.C. In those days, uh, a gentleman named Gordon Cosby and his wife Mary were leading an amazing, innovative, beautiful downtown Washington, D.C., 
faith community that was just doing some amazing work, just releasing all kinds of creativity and giftedness and passion for people of all kinds of uh, needs from the aging to the elderly to HIV population, just a whole vast array of creativity was being released there. And as a part of my doctor work, I was wanting to understand what are the what are the commonalities of communities of faith that have made a difference over a period of time. And so I had the privilege of kind of embedding myself in that community for uh, quite a time. And um, one of the writers and thinkers in that group was a woman named Elizabeth O'Connor. She wrote a number of wonderful books called Commitment uh, or uh, Journey Inward, Journey Outward. Um, and um, one of the kind of revolutionary ideas that sort of began to surface for me in that group was because they were fairly ecumenical, unusually ecumenical for a group with evangelical uh, Baptist backgrounds. Um, they were introducing the wider evangelical community, I think, and the wider kind of Christian community beyond um, the Catholic and sort of more mainstream groups to the idea of vocation. So the idea of calling, the idea of individual people in the body of Christ having a calling. Um, and, um, you know, part of the idea of that book of Journey Inward Outward was we need to be attending both to the thing that God has given us to do, but also to our own spiritual formation and journey and paying attention to the link between those two. And so um, some of that was really pretty wonderfully eye-opening for me, even with my seminary degree under my belt. That that was an idea that I hadn't really thought about in quite those ways before. I loved uh, a quote from Frederick Buechner that they often quoted in those days. Um, your calling uh, is the place where your deep joy or gladness meets the world's deep need. And um, they were not just giving that lip service, they were proactively thinking about how do we help people who have that sense of, here's what I would love to do, here's how I'm wired, um, I sense a calling in this direction, who can join me? They were releasing people to that kind of work. And again, it was just a flowering of wonderful creativity and, and uh, beautiful ministries aligning people's gifts with their sense of place and and the need of that place, so that that was uh, that was really significant for me in that season of my life. Um, and without getting into the weeds yet, here at least, um, the other piece that was parallel with that was some of the work that I'd done um, in the Greek language that had to do with this whole idea of calling um, the word "kaleo" in Greek and a lot of related words in Greek, including the word that we that we use for church. At, Ecclesia, um, all have a, a whole constellation of meaning in the earliest Christian thought that often um, challenges, I think, a lot of our assumptions about the nature of church, um, namely that that God um, from the very beginning has intended to have a, a called together, called out people who are joining God in God's life. And um, especially in the later writings of the New Testament, this becomes a dominant theme that is super, super important for how the earliest Christians understood their life together. We might get, get into that a little bit more. But anyway, that idea of grace, um, the, the grace uh, not only by which we're called, but the grace for which each of us is called in a unique way um, became really important for my thinking and, and work as I was uh, working on my doctorate in those days. So 
um, let me pause there and see if there's anything you'd want to ask further or observe around that idea. I'm 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 soaking it in, and I didn't know all of that about your history, so I'm jotting down some of those those names, and and uh, I, it's been a it's been a journey for you, and I do hope you're going to write some more about this and uh, the whole idea of what it means to uh, be part of the ecclesia, uh, and I think it's in the Hebrew the kahal of the the call that one's the congregation of God. So it just really feels good to. You mentioned all of this. Um, and as we're talking about ecosystem, I, I even jotted down the term. I felt like uh, Ken Smith is the Charles Darwin of the kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> Systems, I could see you swimming in the Galapagos Islands and, and just finding out these things and uh, what, a, what, a, what a gift you are. Uh, I also thought of the term grace. Uh, so many people define grace this way or that way. I was reminded uh, of Graham Cook's definition of grace. I'll try to uh, recite it from memory. He says that grace is the empowering presence to become the people that God sees when he looks at us. Grace is the empowering presence for us to become the kind of man or woman that God sees when he looks at us. And I'm finding Luke 10 to draw out and adduce uh, us as these maturing spiritual moms and dads uh, to create this story and these these systems uh, in place, um, really really fascinating. So, are you spending um, your time working out some of these findings uh, in Luke ten in Eden? And can you comment on how you're implementing some of some of these these thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I love I love that that definition that you quoted from Graham because I think it it points to two realities about our grace. So there's the grace that each of us has. That's Ephesians chapter four, um, that Christ has distributed, uh, metered out uh, to each one of us. Um, but there's also the grace that we have collectively. You know, the, the, the fact that each community of Christ is a living demonstration plot of the life and the love of God. I think we quote somewhere in the book, the wonderful passage in Colossians chapter two that says, in Christ, the fullness of deity is presently living in bodily form. And I love to, to think about the setting of that conversation. So here's here's a, an address to a small community of people. It's, it's living room size because it's first century in the city of Colossae. Uh, they're maybe meeting out in the, in the shared courtyard there, or they're, they're meeting in a, in a small room. And and uh, the writer says, in Christ, the fullness of deity is presently living in bodily form. Well, Jesus died, was resurrected decades before this is written. And then he says, goes on to say, and um, you, Colossians, together among yourselves, <laughs> it's plural, have the fullness of Christ. Wow. The presence of God in bodily form. So these, so this, this sense of um, the called out graced community mm. is absolutely the individual graces that make up that community, but it's also the community as a whole, which is a living demonstration plot of the life of God in that place at that time. And I think that's always been, that is the vision of what church, the called out, called together community of God is. It's not simply about assembly. Assembly matters. Assembly is important, but it's a whole ecosystem of grace. It's a whole way of life that is a demonstration of the living love of God 
among a group of people. And that's a that's a bigger project than I was raised to think about uh, around all of this. As we're part of some of these communities within Luktan and Eden and so on, it's happening. It, it's, yeah. what, what was happening in Colossae is, ha is happening with us. And there is that lens by which we can see people through the lens of Christ, the lens of heaven, uh, where we can embrace uh, our differences, celebrate differences, our uniqueness in Christ, and learn from each individual. How does this approach, right? So God loves gatherings with his presence, uh, but how does this 1 Corinthians kind of 14 approach contribute to the emergence of God's image within the community? Yeah, well, so um, that pushes us kind of on into the next chapter of the book, which has to do with um, this culture, this whole culture of which we are a part. And um, so the stories that uh, represent that culture, the story, the grand story that is the narrative of God, my story individually, the way God has crafted and wired me through the ups and downs of my own life through the gifts that I have, through the abilities and potentialities that I represent, um, as well as all the others in the room, which is the the community, right? Our story. Mm -hmm. And then this story, because God never calls a group out and together in any place by accident. And so there's always prevenient work of God underway wherever people find themselves who are following Jesus. And um, our work, our ongoing work is to attend to the good spirit who is among us and with us to guide us into the work and the ministry that God has called us to do. Again, like Britt Beekner said, work that ultimately, if we are paying good attention, because it's God designed, will both change the world, but also empower us and bring us joy because we get to give the gifts that God has uniquely uh, empowered us with. So that um, sort of that vision of, of living into this way of life uh, is sort of built into the whole notion of an ecosystem of grace, right? An, an ecosystem uh, that is a, a group that God has uniquely prepared for their place and time. Um, only God could take all of the puzzle pieces of who we are, our unique expressions, and bring a connection and a collaboration as a, as, as a witness uh, the book talks about these demonstration plots of God's love, um, but particularly this uh, witness to both the world and the heavenly realms of the multifaceted wisdom of God speaking to the rulers and principalities. Uh, can you maybe make a comment on on how powerful it is to, to I don't want to say tap into, but to uh, have the living uh, fullness of the deity flow through that group of people in a locus um any thoughts on that yeah that's a that is a big wonderful question um of course you're quoting from ephesians chapter three there where um the writer is making the point that um and i'm going to take it that the writer is paul uh that the ecosystem of grace that he's just mentioned earlier in the chapter uh, this ecosystem of the fullness of times is actually God's strategy for the display of God's multifaceted wisdom, even to the powers and the principalities. I mean, the whole the whole uh, 
the whole scope of scripture from Genesis to Revelation uh, is an invitation for us to pay attention to the fact that we are part, we have fallen into a story. We, we're in a, a story that has uh, beginnings before what we know and understand and has, um, and has an ending that is beyond our knowledge and, and uh, imagination even. But we're in this story where God is at work to display the, the multifaceted wisdom and beauty of the God who is love, not just to human humankind or to creation, but even to these powers and principalities that have been around before we were on the scene. And uh, so, you know, there's a lot of speculation about who and how that might be underway. But I think to your point, um, in the first chapter of Ephesians, um, as Paul is kind of laying out what he's what he wants to talk about in this in this letter um he says that the ecosystem i'm i'm translating the greek word oikonomia there as ecosystem uh, that's a better that's a better transliteration or translation than our transliteration of economy because um the whole idea of the oikos the household of the earliest uh mediterranean world um culture was much bigger than money you know, sure, we're sharing financial resources around this household, but it was everything. It was talent. It was passion. It was work. It was uh, all the resources that were at the disposal of that community were a shared part of their life together. And this is this is the thought world and this is the lived world of everybody in the ancient Mediterranean context. So whether you're Roman or Jewish or Persian, uh, you live in a household. And so when when Paul is throwing around the notion of oikonomia, he's talking about this deeply interdependent, interrelated lifestyle that everybody had experience with from birth to death, all day, every day of their life. They're working together, they're eating together, they're sharing life together. And so that's the that's the context for the use of that kind of language. Um, and oikonomia is a household operating system. So Paul takes that idea to a whole new level in Ephesians chapter one, when he says God has pre-designed for God's own pleasure and purposes, this economia, this ecosystem of the fullness of times. He makes the point throughout the book that this has been hidden up to this point, but now it has been revealed in Christ so that God can bring everything in heaven and on earth under the, the lordship, the headship of Jesus. Um, so, I mean, talk about elevating <laughs> an idea to the max in terms of its importance. This is the idea of the earliest Christians about what Ecclesia is. It's an ecosystem of grace, and it's God's one and only strategy for bringing and reconciling everything back to God's purposes. Um, and if we take that notion seriously, then we have to begin to think I think in our time more deeply about, wow, if that was effective for three centuries in <laughs> pagan uh, Rome and ultimately permeated the empire, what might an approach like that have to say for us in our largely neo-pagan times as um, people are losing their sense of hope and their sense of connection with what matters most and with joy? Um, what might it be like to have ecosystems of grace that are infiltrating 
the organizations and the neighborhoods and the cities and the towns and the countryside of the world in our time. And doesn't that sound a lot like what actually Jesus said has to happen for the end to come? Ultimately, the good news has to get out to everyone. And that needs to be a demonstration plot mm. of the living life of God in people's own context, in their own culture, in language with people they understand. Um, so I think big picture, that's what we're up to in Luke 10. We're, as we say in our vision statement, our vision is to see a vibrant family of Jesus in close reach of everyone worldwide. Well, why do we say that? Because we think that's what God's up to in history. And we'd love to have a bit part, whatever God wants to give us in helping that happen. That's so exciting to uh, to hear you talk about, about this. Uh, and I love the, the Luke 10 vision to uh, see these vibrant families of Jesus uh, with an easy reach of everyone on the planet. And we do it by our mission of uh, equipping spiritual moms and dads uh, to equip spiritual moms and dads. We want that, uh, that multiplication. Uh, what role uh, do these emotionally mature human communities play uh, in this uh, oikos uh, of, of showcasing the multifaceted wisdom of God? In other words, so there's a setting here um, there's a container, there's a wineskin that um, isn't the case with rabid individualism in America. How can we shift from this rabid individualism practically of just going, you know, going to a Sunday routine, a Sunday sanctuary driven Christianity to more of this, I think you call it in the book, the live streaming presence of God within a family how do we get in on this? Um, what would you say to that? It's a tall order, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think nearly all of us struggle with this, Jay. I, I mean, I think I do. I, I've been struggling with it for decades, trying to understand, wrap my mind, and more importantly, my lifestyle around this, this radical attention-paying lifestyle. Uh, and I, I think... One of the ways that our time is uniquely challenged in living this way is because I think our time is uniquely uh, away from the kind of normal, interdependent, intergenerational community that has always been characteristic of human life together uh, throughout history and all over the world um, across cultures. So we're maybe 100 years into, I think we mentioned this briefly in the book, but we're maybe a hundred years into this grand experiment of, um, of trying to do life without extended family. And, you know, there's lots of reasons for that, but somewhere in the early 20th century, about a hundred years ago, uh, early 1920s, people began to move away from extended family and farm situations or rural contexts, or even uh, urban settings um, into more individualized uh, pockets uh, where they didn't spend their hours and days with people who had known them most of their life. So we moved from a walkable world to more and more of a virtual world where we're spending most of our time, most of our days uh, in a virtual context. And um, today, I think um, fairly recent numbers say that the average male in America spends 11 hours a day in front of a screen of one form or another. Well, you know, if you're spending 11, most of your waking hours in front of a screen, 
there's a whole lot that's not happening in the real world all around you. Uh, the, the three square meals a day that we shared as a family 100 years ago are mostly a distant memory. I didn't grow up in an extended family with aunts and uncles, grandparents, uh, cousins uh, all around me who knew me and neighbors who had spent their whole life watching me grow up. Um, and a lot of how humans are meant to live interdependently, um, pick up from people who have lived life before us in trusting loving relationships, a lot of that is lost to us. Um, and so we just kind of have to imagine it at some level. Or we can take the strategy of Jesus, which is to be a part of a community of practice. Yeah, That's how he did it, right? That's how he introduced a group of uh, fishermen and tax collectors and um, many would say a fairly motley crew of relatively uneducated um, hicks from the countryside out in Galilee uh, into his into his core community of practice and lived life with them for three years uh, and let them see what a lifestyle of love looks like um, and gathered a group of women to share that journey with them as they move through the countryside. Those those deep interdependent intergenerational communities of practice are something that we can have in our time, but it's really, really hard. I'll just say it is so, you you are cutting against so many streams of cultural normalcy, quote unquote, um, but it's possible. It's, I think, necessary. I think it's inevitable um, because I think these kinds of communities are the harbingers of the coming kingdom. Mm. And that's what we're after uh, in, in Luke 10. Mm. Uh, the glad work that we get to do uh, to meet the world's deep hunger. Uh, we're looking for a cultural shift. And that's part of the book that I love. Uh, in each chapter, there's the value presented, uh, kind of pressing the pain point in our culture. But what I like about uh, the Relational Revolution book is someone once said it's easier to curse the darkness than to light a candle. Mm -hmm. And so we don't want to be part of uh, the problem of a uh, of just adding to tearing down what isn't working in Christendom. But I love that we want to, uh, as has been said before, uh, gently and persistently, relentlessly beat that drum of uh, what it looks like to bring about this cultural shift. And in, in the book, you um, uh, all had mentioned uh, these words here, right under the cultural shift. And it's about you know, God's character it says, to see the multifaceted character of God emerge in the community requires that we see each other as God carriers, people made in God's image. All people carry God's image, even those who do not believe in or know God. And those of us who receive Christ's love offering get to experience the living God dwelling inside of us in the form of the Holy Spirit. When we see each other through this lens... We're curious about each other. We draw out God's presence from each other. We learn from each other. We're humble with each other. And we celebrate differences. And it looks like we're returning to that um, way of being. Um, Jesus, the risen rabbi, uh, practiced in the community of practice. And it's a, a real, real joy to do that. So this idea of seeing each other, and we do this in our training with Luke 10, one of the S's that we use, we have four S's, is to see one another through the lens of heaven. 
whether it's in the day-to-day, wherever we are. Um, but this idea of being God carriers that you wrote about, how does this perspective transform the way that we interact with and learn from one another? Because as I read that, I'm thinking of there's certain thoughts in Christendom that just fell to the ground when I, and constructs just completely fell to the ground uh, compared to what that is. So any comments on what it means to be a God carrier and how transforming it is to see people that way? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, as you're suggesting, it's it's both a way of seeing people. So it's a mm. it has huge impact on our basic approach to other humans uh, to begin with, and then it has huge implications for how we actually engage in that interaction. So if I if I see you as a living instantiation of God's grace, I see you as a gift. Um, not simply as someone who has been gifted. I think that's been a lot of the emphasis of grace in the, especially since the Protestant Reformation in Western Christianity is this idea that we've been saved by grace. Well, that's important and true. And it was a huge correction to some aberrations about living by grace uh, in the church of that time. But it misses this other really important piece, which uh, is in that same passage in Ephesians chapter two, right? Where where uh, the writer goes on to say, for we are God's poetry, God's poema, God's workmanship, some, t- some translations say, God's masterpieces, I like that translation, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Well, this is, you know, this there is a built-in grace that is just every human made in the image of God. And then there's these unique graces that are given to us as we come to follow Jesus that Ephesians 4 talks about, that distributing, metering out uh, gift of God. But in every case, the human before us is something wonderful and beautiful beyond our imagination, regardless of how we might see them through our limited framework. There's, There's depth, there's possibility, there's eternal consequence in every single human being we meet and um, if we get clear about that if we really come to believe that then it changes the way we interact with others and i i think you know so more subjectively or more uh, experientially maybe describe this when i'm with people who really believe that about me what i feel is i feel like i am being seen with respect i feel like i'm being heard i feel like i'm being understood I feel like I'm being celebrated for who I am and what I have to bring. And I feel like, hey, we can we can move on in life together with great shared purpose. And those are deep, deeply wired. We know even from the neuroscience, those are deeply wired human needs that almost no one is having met these days. And so as we begin to um create these little ecosystems of grace, these little communities of practice where we're learning how to attend to one another at that level, at the skills level, at the at the um, at the purposeful rhythms level, that we're having those kinds of interactions on a regular basis. Then we begin to see, as the book talks about, these communities beginning to rise and flourish. And that brings us back to the critical role of the mature spiritual moms and dads who create that kind of climate, hopefully in their own biological family. And as they grow beyond the the tending of their own children, they have that capacity to create 
that kind of welcoming, mm. fundamentally respectful space that invites people to be and to become all that God has designed them to be. And it so goes back to that family, like you're mentioning. It, it circles right back to that as um, if we haven't been parented either biologically well or even spiritually, um, we get to experience that um, in the, the good people that God sends to us as uh, we're even talking about um, in some circles salvation as this new way of attachment and attaching to God tenderly and to one another uh, with secure bonds and it goes back to father son and holy spirit to that blissful reality of belonging um before we come to even our, our closing and i might want to ask you about the future of these ecosystems and maybe even what it could look like for luke 10 so i haven't formed the question quite yet but um i was reminded from our earlier um listening about the figs and so about seeing one another and um I saw something that I just wanted uh, to share with you. I saw it online just the other day. It was um, a, a post that stopped me in my scrolling. It was in the evening. And uh, it was it just came to me again. It's about figs. So I remember the figs, Jason. So remember the figs. And I wanted to share that. It's by Dr. Hillary McBride. I follow her on social media. And she was commenting on figs. Um, and I just remember there was a picture of a fig cut in half. And so this is connected to how we see people. And I just wanted to share this thought for uh, uh, our conversation and our listeners before we close. And um, I just pulled it up here. And this is what she said. Great picture of a fig. And I, I do like to eat them. Uh, a few years ago, she says, I was introduced to the life cycle of figs. Um, she's eaten them, but she never understood what it takes for them to become the figs they are. It led, it led her to a borderline fig research obsession which resulted in numerous family members, friends, and colleagues being lured into some of my far too detailed PowerPoint presentations on such matters as the fig and wasp symbiotic relationship known in biological language as mutualism. Need a rabbit hole to fall down sometime? I recommend that. That's the first part. And I, I bet you have a part of you that can really appreciate that. She continues with this last segment. And she says, years later, we moved to a piece of land that has fig trees out in the backyard. And I get to wake up to see them out my window. Here's what sticks with me now. Figs are flowers that bloom on the inside. And, and, and it was in the picture when she when it was cut in half. Figs are flowers that bloom on the inside. There's something so poetic and haunting and mysterious about this, she writes, that I can't help but see us all in this way. Mm -hmm. We're all flowers that bloom on the inside. Mm. I've taken up a daily meditation of seeing people as walking figs. Mm. An enormous amount of creative, wild beauty blooming on the inside. Not always visible, but always there. Mm. Most of it I'll never get close to, reserved for those intimate enough, patient enough to get close to the most tender part. But I've seen enough figs and enough humans to know that the blooming is there in all of us, even if I never see it directly myself. Mm. And I was reminded of that and how wonderful it is to have this lens that even, um, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, and Nazareth wasn't that great place, but I was reminded where uh, there was a guy in the Bible named Phil, and he had a friend named Nate mm. in the Gospel of John. And, and, uh, 
and Nate tells him that he found the Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nate scoffs and says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, what is that? It was a lens that he had. But we know that Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there's no guile or deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? It's knowing. How do you know me? How did you how did you see me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And so within a nanosecond, um, Grace did this. The lens of this man was changed from there's nothing good from Nazareth to OMG, <laughs> you are the king. And you know, has that for a prescription change. And so um, just reminded of the of the figs um, as you're um, sharing this uh, these stories of what it's like for us to be in community together. So, any thoughts mm -hmm. or comments on on that little parable from Hillary McBride? I love it. Um, as a, as an old biology guy, I love love the story of the figs and and that that reality that the flower that blooms that we can't see uh, only comes to fruition with the help of the wasp. Uh, uh, and so there's, you know, there's this profoundly true thing in all of nature that we are fundamentally interdependent. We, each of us carries this amazing gift and grace, but each of us is also fatally flawed all by ourselves. We cannot bloom by ourselves. We must have, uh, an ecosystem of grace around us to see that flower, to draw it forth. We're hardwired as interdependent beings and um, so that cuts straight across again a lot of our kind of core presuppositions as americans that i i must do this by myself i must if it is to be it's up to me uh so much of what is sort of built into uh the ethos and the the mythology of american life is we are islands and we must make life work on our own and uh that's so flatly false that it's it's laughable at some level but it's also so widely practiced or attempted at least that it's also really really sad and i think one of the great pieces of news we have is even though it's normal in america to live that way it's not necessary we can live these interdependent interdependent joyful lives that uh, are really in the community that god has given us that is the that beautiful flowering of God's life. It's just right for where we are, when we are with what we have to bring. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I would love to give you one last opportunity just to share anything else that is on your heart. And I'll maybe tee up the question with, um, for our listeners who are maybe stuck in a system or a story that isn't nourishing them, it's not nurturing for them and they don't know how to be curious about it or if there's another way that god is doing something i'm reminded of um you know fig leaves again i'm just I, I can't get out of this picture but fig leaves without fruit remind us of eden and adam and eve cover there there's this toxic shame with fig leaves after eating you know the forbidden fruit and i just I just know of so many people that, in, in, you know, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah speaks about figs quite a bit. And in his day, 
uh, the the people of God, you know, pointed to the temple and just said, the temple of Yahweh, the temple of Yahweh, the temple of Yahweh, that system will save us, mm-hmm. even though we're doing these other things. And there was a covering of this of of uh, the sin and the shame this with a system that wasn't quite doing it with these fig leaves. And so how can we um, encourage our listeners? That we don't have to trust in any shiny new systems, but there's an invitation for us uh, to come into a new way of being. So, anything else on your heart in regards to that? Yeah, I well, I I've loved this conversation, Jason, and um, anyone who's listening, no doubt, is familiar with the book. Uh, but I would recommend if folks haven't read it yet to to pick up a copy. That's a that's a great introduction. Luke ten exists. I mean, John and I began Luke ten. Um, somewhere around 2007, 2008, about 15 years ago, because we were just aware that major culture shift is coming in the Western world. And we saw the need for the spiritual moms and dads that could help foster this kind of healthy interdependent community. Um, And so we have been experimenting and exploring uh, for a long time how to help Ordinary people like ourselves um, wrap our minds and our lifestyle around this new way of life that Jesus has invited us to. So we have, of course, our introductory course called Church 101, which is a great, uh, simple, but also wonderfully encouraging uh, introduction to community and some of the basic practices that open the space for this kind of growth and interdependence. And then, of course, leader teams are our Luke 10's version of a community practice that lets people continue to hone their skills. And then there's even further training that's available through Luke 10. So I would say if you haven't checked that out, definitely consider uh, looking at the Luke 10 uh, website, lk10.com. And um, if there's any way we can serve anyone, that's why we exist. So um, there are there is a path into uh, into this way of life. We're we're working on it. We're we're uh, experimenting with it. We're um, all fatally flawed individuals, but um, God's doing something beautiful with us together. So, invite anyone that's interested in that journey to um, look to the Lord about whether to 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 join ranks with us on this grand adventure. Uh, what a beautiful invitation! Thank you. We'll put those links in the show notes uh, for us to uh, communicate how to find us uh, with a click of a link. Um, and also I'll, I'll put out there uh, the recent podcast you had with John White, um, which was uh, so good. I'm going to listen to it again because uh, I wanted to jot those things down that were said about the book as a whole and uh, so many, so many things that uh, really grabbed my attention. So uh, I want to thank you so much, uh, my friend, for spending time with myself and an opportunity to introduce you to the listeners. And I look forward to uh, many years of uh, koinonia uh, mm-hmm. with you. So thank you for your valuable time and energy. I really appreciate you. My joy, Jason. We really appreciate you listening to another episode of Relational Revolution. Are you longing for deep and meaningful spiritual community? Do you desire heart-to-heart connection with God and others? We'd like to invite you into a community of practice. We are a people of belonging and bliss. Why does practice matter? 
Practice matters because maturity matters. If you can't lead yourself well, how can you lead others? Consider joining us for an intro call at luke10lk10.com to explore what a safe and secure experience looks like to build, develop, and implement skills of relational connection and emotional intelligence so that we can become vibrant and joy-filled families of Jesus.